This is The Social Geek Radio Network. Welcome to the Social Geek Podcast. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing conciliar. It's the fall reading list for franchising. If you're in franchising, these are the recommended books you need to know about this fall. I'll chat with rock star authors Mark and Mary Kay Liston, Clint Smith, Gary Prevano, and Aaron Fletter. Today's episode is brought to you by Answer Connect, Citroen Cooperman, Northeast Color, and the discussion starts next after I grab another cup of Big B coffee. Big B coffee started with a single store in Michigan in March of 1995. One year later, on a handshake, Bob Fish and Michael McFall decided to franchise the concept. Bigby is on a mission to become 100% farm direct, bringing a name, a face, and a place to every cup of coffee served through the One Big Island in Space initiative. Interested in owning your own Bigby coffee? Begin building a life you love with Bigby coffee by visiting bigbyfranchising.com. Mark and Mary Kay Liston are both former executives with Neighborly, and now they're co-authors of a new book called Diagnosed, Inspirational Stories After an Alarming Medical Diagnosis. Welcome back to the show, Mark and Mary Kay. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Good to Jackson. be here. I'm so glad to have you back, and uh, you're you're in Florida currently, and I'm glad you weathered the storm. And uh, how's life in Florida treating you these days? It's awesome. It's, it's hot. It's great here. <laughs> but in the summertime, yes, it's it's too hot for my taste. So that's why we go to Ohio during the summertime and then beat feet out of Ohio before the snow comes in and come back to Florida. We're we're playing the snowbird game very right. successfully. So right. Far. Good planning. I I always end up in Florida in the summer for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> oh. And then and then I'm, you know, here in Chicago during the winter. So I, I think I need some uh, some time management and planning on that. So tell me about this book, Diagnosed. I was floored and excited when you both first told me that you were writing this book. And um, I think it's just sort of the perfect story at the perfect time. Tell me a little bit about how this came about. Well, we've always been a writing team. Mark's been writing blogs for the glass industry or had been writing blogs for the glass industry for about 20 years. And I was his editor. So we we knew all along that we enjoyed the process of writing and, and editing. And we had a, a great fan, uh, you know, Nancy Friedman, mm -hmm. who for years has said, Mark, you got to write a book. <laughs> and I said, I got to find something to write about. And when you're told you have cancer, 
all of a sudden you might have a reason. I have a topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you wish for when you're looking for inspiration. So Mark, tell me about that diagnosis and, and how that came about and then what the, uh, what the final outcome was. My sister-in-law told Mary Kay, Hey, take your, take your husband to urgent care. It sounds like he's got something in his lungs. And when I coughed, it smelled terrible. And Mary Kay said, I'll take him tomorrow. She takes me to urgent care. All of a sudden, the doctor says, you need to go to the emergency room, which was. Across the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, I've ordered the ambulance. <laughs> and I said, well, well, can't Mary Kay take me? You know, we could probably park the same place we are right now. He said, no, you're going in an ambulance. Well, that concerns one a little bit. Yes. So they took us, they took me there. Mary Kay met us there. Like 10 minutes earlier, she was there waiting. <laughs> and after about four or five hours, the emergency room doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry to tell you, you have lung cancer. I've never smoked, Jack. I've never been around secondhand smoke since I was 13 years old. As you know, I did not work in an environment where there's chemicals or anything else besides ink for typewriters, what it used to be. And here I have cancer. So that started it. Yep. And at that point in the in the, the emergency room, when the doctor left, dropped his bomb, said, find an oncologist and left, we looked at each other, cried a little bit and gave it to God because we knew this was going to be too heavy a load for us to handle on our own. And we said, Lord, whatever you want. I mean, I've lived this great life. I've had this great career. I'm married to a great woman, have three great kids. And if it's my time, it's my time. On the other hand, if I can help in any way and, and you want me to stay on earth for a while, glad to do that too. So I was never worried. You know, people say I was scared. I was never scared to death. Didn't worry any day. I knew it was in a sense. But we knew we had to be proactive. We called our doctor in Florida. And she said, get your butt back to Florida. You don't need to be breathing that Ohio winter air if you've got something going on with your lungs. So we hastened our return by like four weeks, got back to Florida, and that started the whole process of seeing doctors to get to a, a real diagnosis. Check it's one of the things that was so tough and it just came back to me is telling the three kids who are all in their 40s that I've got lung cancer. My daughter works in the medical field. The next morning, she calls about 7.30 in the morning, and she says, Dad, I've got you an appointment with a pulmonologist next Tuesday morning. Looked at Mary Kay and said, can you make the flight arrangements right now? <laughs> so we made flight arrangements and, and came to Florida. And right away, the pulmonologist said, you've got to get to an oncologist. Uh, I know an oncologist at the hospital. First of all, you got to get a biopsy. And then you've got to get to an oncologist. So I know a, a person at the hospital can do biopsies. I'll go over there tomorrow morning and I'll talk to them and uh, be ready for a phone call. 26 days after the diagnosis is when I had the biopsy. <laughs> Why so long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think so too, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that seems like something that, I don't know, it's always amazing to me how we're moving so far forward with technology, but we're also moving 
pretty far backwards with uh, the speed of getting anything done. So, so it was 24 days before the biopsy. And then what was the total time between when you were first told it was lung cancer till you were told some other news? 40 days. 40 so days. It's biblical, huh? Yeah, it's I was just going to say that is Homeric and biblical at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, you think about Jesus in the wilderness, right. uh, Noah on Mount Sinai, Goliath, taunting <laughs> the Israelites, and those were all 40 days. And in those 40 days, I, I journaled every morning. It started out that I thought, oh, I'll just look back on this time and see what I went through, see what my thoughts were, really. Uh, I'm always up about an hour before Mary Kay, walked in the office and started typing, started writing, I should say. And some days I'd write a paragraph, and other days I'd write almost a story, it seemed, or a short story. And about a week after I started to write, I told Mary Kay, uh, maybe we should write a book, honey, and just tell other people when they get a diagnosis like I got, some alarming medical diagnosis, what you're going to go through, that it, it's not a death sentence, but you've got good doctors and it's just a, a lot of, it's the waiting game. And then waiting for the next doctor appointment, waiting for the next hospital appointment, medical appointment, new medicines on your shelf every day. So you're looking at, I got to take this today. and I got to take this today. And I really felt like an old man that all of a sudden needs a pillbox jack that you got to fill up all your pills every <laughs> morning of what you're going to do. So it was the 40 days, but right after I got the biopsy, like three days after the biopsy, the pulmonologist calls me and he says, uh, I just saw the preliminary results and I'm sure you don't have lung cancer. Like, wow. 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 I think it's lymphoma. Oh. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> so when I got home and looked up the Google machine and saw that lymphoma is a type of cancer, it was like potato, potato, you know, right. West boys. Frying pan into the, the fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds the same. But then it was, um, and then he told us that the bi uh, the biopsy, uh, it wasn't specific. It was inconclusive. Yeah. And they had a sentence to the University of Michigan. And then it was still a couple weeks after that, that we found out that the, the pulmonologist was wrong, thank goodness. And there's no cancer whatsoever. Wow. So you actually had technically two wrong diagnoses of cancer. And yes. so so back to the journaling in that 40-day period, is there content from those journals that is part of Diagnosed, the book? Is that sort of how this evolved into a book, starting with those journals? It was the initial goal, Jay. Yes, from day one. The next, very next morning. And I look back in my life, and, and I wrote a lot about my dad. Died when I was uh, in eighth grade of, of uh, heart attack. We were not a cancer family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a lot about him and my memories and thoughts about him. Because I always thought, maybe I'll write a book about my dad. I just admired him so much. So there's a lot in this book. But every day, and on day 70, something else happened. Uh, that's when we found out that the medicine that they'd given Mark was breaking up the mass inside of his body. And that's when you stopped journaling and started focusing on other stories because he got convicted. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, on day 70, 
a week before I start, I stopped journaling. Um, I woke up that morning, and I don't know if it was it was a, a voice, I don't know if it was a sound, but I woke up knowing, and I heard, this book can't be about you. It has to be about others. So this is January 11th. I went to the my uh, Google machine that morning. Facebook. Facebook. The, the, the one and only Facebook. And I wrote something. I said, hey, I'm writing a book about uh, alarming medical diagnosis. That, now that include, it, include, it can include cancer. And if you've been a caregiver, if you've had it, uh, and you'd like to be in this book, well, just send me a note. This is about 11 o'clock that morning I put this in. Jack, by 10 o'clock that night, I had 20 messages that I want to be in the book. Wow. So, yeah, we changed right then. And the goal was no longer just a journal. The journal was part would always be part of the book, as it is today. But there'd be 20, the goal was 25 different stories about people that survived. And this ended up with 26 different stories. Two had already passed. One was Mary Kay's brother who passed away from ALS. And that section of the book, he talks about how, the, or Mary Kay talks about how he lived the last year of his life, not how he died. And then a friend from Rockford who died of pancreatic cancer. We also put in the book that, let's talk about how he lived the last year and a half of his life. But the other stories, the other 24 stories are all different people. Some I went to high school with and had no idea. Wow. It had a different type of, of uh, <clears throat> medical diagnosis. I think there's what we say, honey, 16 different types of cancer in there, 15 different, all different yeah. types of cancer. Different ages. Yeah, from a, a four year old kid to a 15 year old high school kid. Four year old's now 19, the 15 year old's now 21, and an 85 year old grandma who had gum cancer. So it, it really carries the whole gamut of different types of, of problems. Right. We have a story about a paraplegic, um, someone who went through a kidney transplant. So there are different stories and their stories are inspirational. And that's what we were going for, Jack, is teaching. What we learned was how to best support family and friends who are going through a difficult time. And that's included in the book. So I think it's, it's inspirational for people who want to know how can I best serve my family member or my friend and help them on their journey. And it's also helpful for somebody who's going to be facing their own journey with uh, some sort of a medical problem. Because what we learn in this book is that if you have faith, then the burden is much lighter. Yeah, and never underestimate the power of prayer. Mm. And right away, day two, we put together a prayer list Prayer warriors. Prayer warriors. And the mm -hmm. only thing that they couldn't do was put anything on Facebook because this was still very private to us yeah. with a select group of people. Yeah. It's private. And I also find it fascinating that I'm sure most of these people, maybe you felt the same way, feel very alone when yeah. they get a diagnosis like that. You know, why me? Um, this doesn't happen to anyone else. And obviously it does because you you were able to fill a book in in a very short amount of time with people who are going through the same thing. So I think I think just bringing those people together, even though most of them 
I'm, I'm sure hardly any of them have ever met before, but bringing them together in, you know, between two covers, um, you know, just shows right there that this isn't an individual's issue. This is something that everyone either has gone through or may go through in the future. And I think that that pulling uh, pulling yourself out of this, you know, I'm alone in this journey to show that this does happen to people from all age groups and, and all stripes. One of the lessons we learned, Jack, was instead of saying to somebody, you know what, I've been praying for you. Let's say that you're sick. Hey, Jack, I, I've been praying for you. If we say to you, hey, Jack, how about if we have a prayer right now? You'll always say yes. Oh, that'd be nice. It makes such a difference. I and love I, that idea. Yeah, I well, love that idea. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all good ideas are stolen, especially by authors. Um, but I love that idea because how many times does something happen and what's the first thing someone says? Thoughts and Hopes prayers. And prayers. Hopes and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Like, like, really? Did you really pray? Did you really think about this person? I bet you didn't. That's kind of a standard answer. It's a tragedy. So, so yeah, doing it right now, that, um, that could probably really change someone's day. Right. And I think at the, at the end of it, that's what all of this is about is just changing someone's day. Right. And speaking of changing someone's day, another lesson that we learned through speaking with all these people is don't put the burden of, of helping on the person who's sick. So if you say, well, let me know if I can do anything, the burden is now on the patient. Right. Instead, say, I want to bring you a meal this week. What evening works best for you? And is there anything special you'd like to have? Or I would like to take you to your chemo treatment next week. What day would be best for you? And so you're committing to what level of help you actually want to give instead of leaving that up to the, the patient to figure out, gee, did she really mean she wanted to help? You know, call if I need anything. Gosh, what if what if I need a ride to the store? Is that the kind of thing she'll want to do? Yeah. So take away the guessing and the uncomfortableness that comes with with that heartfelt but not terribly helpful. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Yeah, because I think sometimes people just, they don't know what to say, right? right? They don't know how to help. They haven't had a friend in this situation before. So they're, they're like you said, awkward, and, and they're not really sure what they should say or not say. So, so yeah, doing, doing something that's a little bit more direct, and here's exactly what I'm going to do. You tell me when, right? Right, right. Here's what I want to do for you. And don't avoid talking to them. That's another nice. lesson that we picked up is that um, people sometimes don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. And that's not helpful at all. Yeah. So even if you just say, I have no words, I, I honestly don't know what to say, but I love you. And um, I'm saddened that you're going through this. And again, you know, here's what I'd like to do for you. Yeah. Let's, let's say a prayer together. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. know, it changes your life too, Jack. That's what's cool about it. All of a sudden, because we all talk about paying it forward, right? Since the movie came out, pay it forward. <laughs> but when all of a sudden you do that, you start to pay it forward in a lot of areas of your life without even thinking twice about that. Like Mary Kay is saying, I'm good example. I'm taking some folks in our neighborhood 
to a doctor appointment tomorrow. He's 82 years old, just got out of the hospital. So, all right. And I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. But it's not inconvenience at all. It's something that when they, they're happy that I'm doing it to help him because he can barely walk. I feel so much better when I get home. My day is great because I had a chance to help someone else. Yeah. And hopefully someone else will, when you're that age, someone else may offer you a ride at some point exactly. that, that that you need um, uh, someday as well. You know, I the, the thing that just really shines in this book to me and the whole idea of, of you writing this book is both of you have just been such an example of living in this positive mindset. You know, I've always thought that about both of you that, you know, I, I have never, I've known you both for 15 years. I don't think I've ever heard a discouraging word. And, and there's not a lot of people who I've known for 15 years who I can say that about right now. So I think, I think that in and of itself is sort of the narrative here that there's got to be this positive motion forward or people could easily get hung up on their own problem and, you know, feel like they're alone and, and just go into despair. So I think just the, 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 the positive nature you've both lived your lives definitely is part of the story here, whether you know that or not. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. The, the secret though is working for Dina. <laughs> and, really, and and now you put her to work for uh putting together a forward for your book right yes, yeah she did and she was one, <laughs> and wonderful as always but when you work with dina all of a sudden every day i mean she'll go pick up a piece of paper on a lawn walking to the store mm-hmm. you know and every day you listen to her how she is starts her morning at mass and you just say i suck <laughs> you're trying to get better but she's been really an influence in our lives in so many ways. Absolutely. So what's next after this book? Are you thinking about other projects? Are you thinking about other books? Are you thinking about doing other things that will make an impact on other people? Well, there probably is another book coming because just about everybody we talk to who's not featured in the book says, oh, I've got a story for you. So there are still, you know, a million stories in the city. And as long as each one is inspirational in a a different way than a story that we've told, then we're interested in telling that story as well. So we're we're keeping a a log of people who are interested in being in another book. And, uh, but that may or may not happen, I don't know, but that's certainly something that we're planning for. I believe that uh, in, in all the research, it's, it's funny when you have an illness, everything that comes through on, on your computer, uh, messages, whatever, maybe advertisements, all pertains to exactly what you have. <laughs> so one morning I woke up and I was reading the paper and one of the stories was uh, every one in two women in America will get cancer. One in three men. So there's people out there and, and heart attacks and these people are dealing with, with stuff. And so because of that, we would like to write another book. One last thing, we are being blessed to host the um, 
the prep breakfast at the IFA convention. Oh, you are. Oh, terrific. We are, we are the speakers. This year. Yeah. Oh, terrific. I will be in the front row. That is one of my favorite events at the IFA. And sometimes I say that and some of my friends say, really? And I'm like, yeah. yes, it, it absolutely is. It's just a, a group of really cool people who may believe a lot of different things but yes. once a year we get together at this prayer breakfast and it's and it's really it's really an amazing time i'm so glad you're hosting this year yeah, yeah we're we excited are too. we're, we're excited about we're going to bring a quantity of books signed that uh, that will gift to people who attend but certainly if somebody purchases their own copy of the book and wants to bring it we'll we'll happily sign it there all right. And to help that along, we will have a link to the book on Amazon in today's show notes. So make sure to get your copy and bring it to the IFA convention in February. And I believe we'll be in Phoenix. Is that right? Yes. Yes. All right. Very so good. One more note too. Yeah. It's funny how we think of all these things. <laughs> you can go to our personal website at www.diagnosedbook.com. Excellent. We'll have a link to that in today's show notes as well. Mark and Mary Kay, I will see you in Phoenix. If I don't see you before then, have a terrific rest of the year. Great holiday and uh, can't wait to catch up again soon. Jack, thanks, thanks Jack. so much. Such a pleasure. Back in a moment after this word from Northeast Color. Northeast Color produces branded interior decor and custom signage solutions for the franchise industry with a special focus on value engineering. They work with franchisors to re-engineer their existing signage packages to lower costs on materials, shipping, and installation, all while maintaining the integrity of their client's brand. In short, Northeast Color literally makes things better. Learn more now at northeastcolor.com. Clint Smith is the founder and CEO of Career Plug. He's recently released his book, How to Hire, The Essential Guide to Recruit and Retain the Right People. Clint, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jack. I love that idea of recruiting and retaining not just anybody, but the right people. Is that something that brands, and, and maybe specifically in the franchise world, are struggling with right now? finding and keeping the right people as opposed to just anyone. They are. And, uh, you know, things are, the, the labor market is changing some to where I'd say that people, you know, that there are more applicants uh, available than there were maybe a year ago, but there's still a challenge to find the right people. And uh, I, I think that having a system in place to be able to evaluate those people is critical. And that's part of what I talk about in the book. Tell me more about the book. What was the reason for getting into the book and, and writing the book? You know, really more than anything, Jack, I wanted to give uh, our clients and really even our employees uh, just some more thought leadership on on the right way to go about doing it. So like I, I, uh, I started my business in my apartment in 2007 and made lots of hiring mistakes myself. And, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of things that I felt like I learned the hard way. And I wanted to uh, just pay it forward and try to help other business owners um, navigate those challenges um, a little bit more easy, a little easily easier. And um, yeah, that 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 was really the impetus for it more than anything else. 
I really like the format of this book. It's not a long narrative. It's really, um, you know, one page or two page sort of tip sheets on on how to do this efficiently. And then uh, two pages later, it's it's a, a, another piece of advice. So it's really consumable, I think, especially for uh, people like me. I'm, I'm a first-time CEO right now, and hiring is really top of mind. And and I see the challenges that people have out there. So, so having sort of a, it's almost like a reference guide more than a long narrative. Does that, does that sort of make sense? And did you do it that is. It's, it's meant to be sort of a field guide and, and look, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur and I know how, I know how we think uh, we don't have time to sit down and, you know, read 30 page chapters <laughs> all the time. Like yeah. sometimes you just like, Hey, get to the point. What do we need to do? And And that's really the approach that I took to it. So it's, it's meant to be sort of a compilation of some different ideas. So, so you like read it uh, and each each section uh, has a, a question at the end of it. So it's meant to kind of uh, make you think about some of these things as well. What are some other challenges that employers, especially maybe franchise brands or, or larger enterprise brands have right now when it comes to hiring and retaining the right people? You know, I think that there's um, for a long time, there's been a mentality that um that hey look i'm the one with the job that's being offered and uh, these people should be grateful to have an opportunity and you know even if i wait a week to get back to them they should still respond to me um and the reality is that's just not that's not how it works um so one of the comparisons that i make in the book is just like you need to recruit like you sell and would you ever let a sales lead sit in your inbox uh, for a week without following up? Because if you think about like a great hire is actually could be worth 10 times more than a great individual sale customer that you have. So yeah. you got to treat them like that. And you've yeah. got some of the stuff that's made you great at sales. You've got to apply it to your, your hiring process. And you really are competing for the top talent right now, right? You totally are, right? Like, yeah, like I said, there's there's more applicants than there were a year ago, but but the top people can always afford to choose, no matter what market they're in. And if you're if you're in one of these um, industries where there's a skilled trade, like a uh, licensed uh, cosmetologist or a massage therapist or something like that, if if and, and this is from people in the industry, not just from me, I've heard, hey, if you're not getting back to these people in 24 or 48 hours, you might as well just delete the resume and application. Because they 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 already have another job. Yeah. It, so like you said, it is kind of like a sales lead. If if you sit on a sales yeah. lead for three days, forget it. You you just wasted it. Exactly. So it's like you've got to have a system in place to be able to get on top of it right away and follow up with these people, have an initial conversation, get an interview scheduled. Um and, and it, it's challenging for business owners because a lot of them are in the business still, right? And they're they're having to juggle all this. They might even be short-staffed if they're hiring, you know, someone left. And uh, that that presents a lot of challenges. That's always been the biggest struggle, I think, for, for me in, in some positions in the past where what we really need to do is hire someone, but I'm so busy covering that desk that I don't have time to hire someone. It's, it's this really vicious catch-22 that people get into, I think. Right. And then, you know, you, that gets back to your point about hiring the right people when you're desperate 
I remember I had a client on the phone one day. He's like, I'm so desperate for a, a, a sales rep who speaks Spanish. He's like, the next person that walks into my office that speaks Spanish is hired. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, that's that's not going to work out. <laughs> that's, that's like gambling. from a sitcom. And then and then imagine, yes. you know, George Costanza walks in and says, see, sí, right? Hola. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about... Um, there are more applicants now than there maybe were a few months ago or a year ago. What other trends are you seeing in general right now? And and by the way, everyone listening to this in the far future, we're recording this in September of 2023. So um, right now, Clint, what are you seeing as far as other trends in, in hiring and recruiting? I think that there's, there's, there's some owners who were um, a little more hesitant than um, they were last year. As far as thinking about their business, do, do I want to expand it? Do I want to grow it? They're, they're questioning a lot of things, right? Um, and, and, and in some ways that um, the uncertainty that's up that's in the air, like with economics and everything, the economy and everything, um, is making people think twice a little bit more. But what I would say uh, is you should always be out there looking for good people. Even if it's not an active job posting that you have, when I interview people and I, and I ask them to say, if you had the right person, like that, like that ideal candidate walk through the door right now, even if you didn't have an open position, would you find a place for them? And almost all of them say yes. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really the idea is like, if, if you can, if you're going to have a growth mindset and you're always growing, if you're not growing your business, you're, you're shrinking it more than anything else. So you, you've always got a part of your job as the owner, unless you totally delegate this to whoever's running your business for you day to day, it's got to be out there looking for the right talent to grow your team. Excellent. Uh, what else is new at Career Plug and any new projects coming up on the horizon? Yeah, you know, we we launched a uh, a new feature called Autopilot, Jack, that, that's been a real game changer. Um, basically, it's a, um, a scheduling feature. When someone qualified comes in, you can hit a button or, or you can even automate that if they meet certain criteria based on questions answered when they apply. And it sends them a text and an email inviting them to uh, schedule an appointment with you. And it's based on your availability on your calendar. Uh, so it eliminates all that back and forth um, of, oh, when are you available? Can you do this? And what we found, we knew that it was going to be a, a time saver. What really surprised us, though, was how big of an impact it had on results. Hmm. So previously, we were getting, uh, our clients were getting maybe one out of 10 people that they contacted to schedule an interview. Uh, which, you know, doesn't sound that great, but, you know, again, some of them waited a long time to do this um, with, with this autopilot feature that's gone up to something like seven out of 10. So, I mean, it's, it's a massive increase. So if you think about, if you're getting that many more people to convert from applicant to interview, you don't even need as many applicants right. um, to be able to make the numbers work. So that's right. really big. And then, you know, I, I, um, We've got a lot happening on the retention side of things um, behind the scenes, and we're going to have more announced there soon. But one of the kind of revelations that I had over the past year or two is like the best way to hire people, the best hiring strategy is really retention. Uh, you've got to be able to hang on to your best people. So we've got, there's some stuff about that in the book, but we're also going to be launching some tools um, for clients to use in that area as well. Excellent. Well, keep us posted on that. And if anyone has more questions for you and your team, or, they, or they'd like to learn a little bit more, where can we send them? Yeah. If you want to learn more about CareerPlug, you can go to careerplug.com. If you want to specifically learn about our book, which is How to Hire, there's a, a book website, which is howtohire.com. 
Excellent. And we will the, have the, links. The website actually has a bunch of other resources um, that you can use, um, you know, to be able to create interview questions or, or an ideal candidate profile of who you're looking for, all sorts of tools that you can use. It, it, again, this book is meant to be actionable. It's not just a thought piece. So the website is sort of the second piece of that where you can go and download these, these tools to use. Excellent. We will have links to both of those places on today's show notes. Clint, thanks so much for being here, and we hope to see you down the road. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. We'll be right back after a word from Citroen Cooperman. Citroen Cooperman is proud to be the home of one of the leading franchising practices in the country. With over 40 years of franchise experience, Citroen Cooperman provides a full range of services to a vast number of franchise concepts. They work with the owners, operators, controllers, and CFOs of a wide range of franchisors and multi-unit franchisees to help them establish their brands and grow their businesses to the next level. The franchise practice is comprised of experienced CFE-accredited professionals, providing guidance and insight to minimize uncertainty, meet compliance and contractual obligations, and stay focused on building their businesses. For more information, please contact Aaron Chaitovsky and Michael Iannuzzi at CitroenCooperman.com. Gary Prenovo is a franchise consultant and recently the author of The Unstoppable Franchisee, Seven Drivers of Next Level Success. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jack. Pleasure to be here. I want to find out more about your consulting business, but first let's talk about the book. Tell me about the book and what were some of the reasons behind creating the book? Um, well, I got my roots in the training industry. I used to run with a partner, uh, one of Canada's largest training franchise systems. We had 120 offices across, pardon me, 110 offices across Canada. Um, and we were business coaches and helped uh, businesses grow um, and, and constantly achieve success. And in the Fran, in FranNet, um, I was uh, in the top five regularly, a couple of times number one. And I looked across um, my franchise base, my peers, and I looked at, with all the different brands we we worked with, and why don't so many franchisees follow the core elements and achieve higher levels of success? And it constantly bothered me. So I decided to go on this journey, looking to see if it was if it was a just lack of training or lack of support or lack of drive, whatever, because it it just it was across so many industries that every franchise system has. Yeah, it sounds like an issue that we hear from every franchisor out there at some point. Why aren't people just following the program and the process and 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 succeeding in that way? I love the idea that you've boiled this down from there's a million things a small business owner could do, but you've identified seven key things that really would make a difference in their level of success. What can you tell me about developing those seven things and, and why focus on these particular seven? Well, I didn't know what it was going to be when I started the research. And uh, as I, I interviewed um, over 30 CEOs of franchise systems, some big, um, large, like uh, some of the largest ones, midsize and, um, and fast growing. Then I interviewed the top uh, uh, 1% to 4% of their franchisees. And from both perspectives, the franchisee perspective and the, the CEO perspective, Jack, 
Um, these, these seven things were the things that constantly came up in every conversation in varying levels of intensity. And it didn't matter what industry, it didn't matter how big a system, this is what it came to, to identify. Um, and I think the most important one uh, started with mindset. Um, and, and every single top franchisee had the perspective of um, what's next? What do I need to focus on? And, and they didn't get comfortable in, in or complacent. So whereas I see a lot of middle and underperforming franchisees, they hit a certain level and then, hey, that's pretty good. I'm comfortable here. <laughs> and then they back off. Yeah. And they, they stay in that comfort zone and the, they don't realize the trap of the comfort zone, which is a slow decline. Because if you don't if you don't grow, you're gonna if you're you're going to uh, slide, right? So so helping people realize that mindset is really important on focusing on growth, and then the awareness, um, the next driver, just the uncanny level of awareness that these top franchisees had on every aspect of their business, and I think a lot of people don't have awareness either in their own mindset, their own uh, state of business or in the market, or so I, there's four areas of, of awareness. And then each of those subsequent drivers was on an area of focus that every franchise business needs. And, and, and nobody can start, do everything at once, but if they if they pick one or two things and just focus on that, um, and then uh, you know learn it, um, internalize it, master it, and then go to the next one. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest challenge for any business owner or CEO of a small company or CEO of a big company is there are so many things that need to be done. And how do I do a hundred things today? And I think you've you've nailed it that you you can't do a hundred things today, but you can focus on one, maybe two, and and get those checked and and then move on to the next task. Am I am I reading that right? To, to a degree, it's not just today. Like I think about, um, you know, uh, one of the drivers of of in, uh, mastering the system. Well, that is a probably a two to three year process. Mm. What part of the system, when somebody's coming into a, a franchise, do they have to learn? They have to learn the basics, and then once they they know the basics, then they start doing other things. But they think a lot of people think they they've mastered it when they only know it. There's a big difference between knowing and mastering, right? So, so it's remaining focused on that optimizing and that that uh, striving for excellence. And then once I've got that mastered, what else do I need to get? So it's the constant evolution of knowledge, the constant commitment to learning. I like that idea of the constant evolution and really knowing what you're planning to do next and, and what you see coming up in the near future. You've been consulting with lots of clients for many years through FranNet. What's next in your evolution? Uh, how's the consulting business going? Where do you see that going over the next year or so? Well, the, the consulting business, I've 21 years with FranNet. Um, it's, it's a great business. I love what I do. I get to help people change their lives. Uh, the my just doing a lot more keynote speaking and franchise or workshops at, at conferences and whatnot. That's um, I'm going to keep on doing FranNet, but I'm really building on the the keynoting and workshop business as well. I like that idea too. And do you have another book in you? I, I, most authors have another book idea brewing somewhere in the back of their mind. What's it, next for you, Gary? 
It's interesting. I just got back from an Iceland trip, and on the plane uh, home yesterday, I actually wrote down the title of my next book, what I think it's going to be. So uh, yes, there's at least uh, one more book, uh, probably two books in me right now, but that's a a year, two years down the road. Okay, well... Start writing now, my friend, and uh, we can't wait to see what you come up with next. Gary, thanks so much for being here today. If anyone would like to learn a little bit more about your consulting business or anything else you're up to, where can we send them? Is it LinkedIn, website? Where do you prefer to connect with people? Uh, LinkedIn is a great place um, for, for me. The the unstoppablefranchisee.com has all my business, uh, the keynoting, the workshops, my friend, that business is there as well. So that's probably the best way or uh, just gprenovost.friendnet.com, which is my friend at email business. Excellent. We'll have links to all of those places in today's show notes. Gary, thanks so much for joining me today. And we will see you at a franchise event in the very near future. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Erin Fletter is the founder and CEO of Sticky Fingers Cooking Franchise. She's also the author of several cookbooks, including Magnificent, available now, and Kid Smoothies, the Healthy Kids Cookbook, available in October. Erin, welcome back to Social Geek. Thank you so much, Jack. I'm happy to be here. It was nice meeting you a few months ago at the IFE in New York City, and I can't wait to uh, see you again at at another franchise event coming up soon. But for any of those folks who may not have met you and they might not be familiar with Sticky Fingers, tell us a little bit about your brand and your concept. Yes, Sticky Fingers Cooking is a cooking school for kids. Uh, We're nationwide. We started from my kitchen table in 2011, and we go to where kids are where kids naturally are. So we are a not, we're not a brick and mortar um, business. We go to where kids are, schools, community centers, libraries, everywhere in between. Uh, we currently cook with students in about a thousand venues and wow. we taught um, upwards of 125,000 students how to cook. Wow. 125,000 students learning how to cook due to this great franchise concept. I wish I would have been one of them many, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> never too late. Are, are you going to do a uh, a seniors class or anything like that sometime <laughs> for me? Maybe I could join that. Oh, so, interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New new concept coming up here on Social Geek today. So, um, so along with the franchise, you've got a series of books. And I think you said there are four or five books out currently. Is that right? Yes. Well, um, in October, uh, we'll be releasing our fifth cookbook. And something that's pretty remarkable to know is that we have only been doing this since uh, 2021. Oh, wow. So you started publishing cookbooks right in the middle of the pandemic. How did that work? It was actually in response to the pandemic. Um, So, you know, in 2020, um, just like the whole world shut down and we were unable to do what we do best and go into schools and cook with kids in person. So we immediately transitioned into online cooking and we actually were able to cook with kids all over the world um, with public libraries all over the country. It was Hmm. pretty remarkable. Um, I have this incredible team of uh, a 25 person leadership team and we all just kind of 
found together and what can we do? How can we reach out to more children? And we thought, wow, we have thousands of recipes that we've written. That sounds like a cookbook to me. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, so we uh, that turned into, so we have an internal cookbook team and it turned into five cookbooks in about two, two and a half years. So tell me about the cookbooks and who's included. Is it all students from your franchise units? Um, who else is involved in being part of the uh, the recipes and and the actual things that are being prepared in the cookbooks? Yes. One of the magical things about Sticky Fingers Cooking is that we uh, release what we call a lesson plan. It's a curriculum and it includes a recipe that includes a main, a side, and a drink. So it's a pretty much a full meal. And we write and produce a new lesson plan every single week of the year. So all of our students in our cooking classes are making the same recipe, whether you're in Chicago or Austin or Denver, Colorado, or any of our online classes, um, everybody's making the exact same recipe. So we have had uh, 125 students vet all of our recipes, and we just use the, the best of the best and um, and the top favorite of our, of our recipes and created five cookbooks out of them. What are some of the favorite recipes that uh, that the kids come up with? Yeah, so we actually come up with the recipes ourselves. Uh-huh. Um, it's just really what uh, what what are the the greatest hits. Something about sticky fingers to know is that um, our recipes are not what you would define traditional U.S. kid food. Not a lot of chicken nuggets. <laughs> no, no mac and cheese and hot dogs, huh? <laughs> we do have mac and cheese, but there'll be an addition of cauliflower in there or something a little bit unusual. Um, our first cookbook is called Global Taste Buds. And so we introduce kids to recipes and from and tastes from all over the world. So kids are going to be making hummus to uh, to flatbread from Turkey uh, to Rwandan spice bread, um, even uh, Italian zeppoli and fedua from Spain. So really, really unusual um, recipes to introduce kids to the bigger world beyond. I love that idea of introducing kids to foods not from just where they live. Uh, you know, you mentioned hummus. Hummus is my favorite snack of all time. And I didn't discover it till I was about 40 years old. It's like, where was that when I was a kid? I would have <laughs> loved to to jump into the world of hummus way back then. Um, and, and it sounds like there's also a healthy angle here with most of your recipes. And the upcoming book, The Kid's Smoothie, that's that's all about healthy eating and healthy recipes. Is that right? Yeah, at Sticky Fingers Cooking, we incorporate not only all of the incredible byproducts that come from cook that that you can learn from cooking, from math and science to language, global cultures, but it's also an incredible way and uh, and a perfect way to talk about nutrition and where our food comes from. Um, All of our cooking classes at schools are very much plant forward. So we use, we highlight a fresh fruit or vegetable or grain. And so our kids smoothie cookbook that's coming out in October is a perfect entryway for children that maybe haven't been cooking in their own kitchens at home, or frankly, even their parents. Uh, We find that so many parents maybe uh, don't, don't do a lot of cooking at home too. And so a smoothie is 
is just the perfect vehicle to start cooking and uh, trying new flavors. And we really push the envelope about what a smoothie is. We make it very approachable and we make it really, really fun. I have, uh, that was actually one of the first things that I learned how to cook when I was a kid or how to prepare when I was a kid was a smoothie with my mom. Wow. That's, that's a good story to go along with the book. And by the way, the book is, it's interesting that you've moved from self-publishing and being an independent publisher to working with a major global publisher. So this, um, this book side of your business seems to be really expanding. It's, it's so exciting. And it's such a fun and creative outlet, not only for me, but for my entire team. Uh, yes, um, back um, in 2022, uh, Penguin Random House uh, they, Publishing, they contacted us and said, hey, we would love to, to, to partner with you and, and do a cookbook together. So it was quite an honor. And it's been really fun to see uh, how they produce a cookbook and working with them. It's been, it's been a remarkable process. And, and again, a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun and more fun to come. What's coming up next. Do you have another book in mind maybe for next year or somewhere down the road or what are you thinking about right now? Yeah. So all of our, uh, all of our cookbooks that we have self-published to date, uh, global taste buds, farm to table and basic training, baking boot camp. Those are all themes from our very robust summer camp programs. And so we're going to continue, um, with, we have about three more cookbooks down, down the pike. Um, and then we hope to continue to, um, to have our relationship with uh, with large publishing houses and con continue to do more more cookbooks, it's a really wonderful way to kind of give back and to cook with more kids in the kitchen and in their home kitchen. Excellent, I love yeah. to hear that. Um, yeah. If anyone would like to check out the books or to learn a little bit more about Sticky Fingers Cooking franchise itself, where can we send them? Yes, Amazon. Uh, we all of all of our cookbooks are um, for sale, and the Kids Smoothie Cookbook is available for pre-sale right now, and it's all at Amazon. You can uh, look for my name, which is Erin Flutter, and. Fun fact, I'm the only Aaron Flutter on the internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> all of the cookbooks will show up. And currently we have five cookbooks. We have franchise territories available nationwide. And we're looking for wonderful partners that not only want a piece of a $22 billion pie, which is after school enrichment, uh, we also are looking for people that are ready to change their lives at home, uh, being able to have a home-based managed business and to be able to do good in their community. If someone would like to chat with you about a franchise opportunity, is that something you want to do on LinkedIn or do you have a website we could send people to? What's your preference? Yes, uh, we have a website, uh, stickyfingerscookingfranchise.com. It's a mouthful. Erin, thank you so much for being here today and for uh, throwing a little laughter into my day. Thank you so much. Before we go, a quick word from Answer Connect. 
Everyone has a phone, but not everyone is answering the phone correctly. When you spend marketing dollars to grow your business, you cannot afford to miss any calls or answer the phone with, Hey, Answer Connect is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to support new business, current clients, or urgent calls, and they send messages to you immediately. They integrate with many of today's popular CRMs, taking advantage of technology and taking one more thing off your to-do list. In addition to taking calls, they set appointments, follow up on potential clients via form-filled inquiries, and make outbound calls for reinvigoration campaigns. Let Answer Connect work in your business so you can work on your business. Call Answer Connect at 800-584-0234. That's 800-584-0234. Or visit AnswerConnect.com slash franchise. And thanks for listening to Social Geek. Your comeback of a lifetime starts now. This is the Social Geek Radio Network.